Good morning, TBA. Happy Palm Sunday. Today is the day that we get to celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. A week that he has planned all his life, right? A week that sets the stage for the gift that we get to receive. I hope everyone has had a great week. All of the guys are out this week, so unfortunately you are stuck with me. I am humbled and grateful that I get the opportunity to do this from time to time. And I can tell you there is no better motivator to study than to know you are about to stand up in front of a bunch of people and God is going to use you to say something that is going to impact someone, maybe everyone. He continues to open my eyes to the truths that he teaches in Scripture. What a blessing, what a blessing, true blessing that it's been. Have you benefited from being in the Word? I pray that this time that we have had as a church to study God's Word together has been a blessing in your life. I pray that he has used Scripture, circumstances, and people in your life to have created a heartfelt need to grow closer to him. The title of my sermon is Choices Have Consequences. Let me ask you this. Have you ever made a poor choice? I'm pretty sure I know the answer to that. Were the consequences that you received from that poor choice what you thought would happen? I'm going to bounce back into uh, my life a little bit, way back to uh, a choice that I made whenever I was 12 years old. Uh, a choice that almost cost me my life. In all of my infinite wisdom, I thought it would be a good idea to change a 55 on my report card to an 85. I know, I know, not the sharpest tool in the shed, right? Well, what looked like a pretty good counterfeit job to me was completely obvious to my mom. Let me share some things about my house growing up that may be a little different from yours. My mom was amazing. She was great. But mom usually tried to keep dad out of having to deal with day-to-day discipline issues. So mom was the hammer. I love my mom and appreciate everything she did to raise us up, but she would wear you out. And she would do it with whatever was close at hand. Some of you growing up, I'm sure you've had spankings. Our kids today have no idea what a spanking is. Needless to say, my choice was influenced by a considerable amount of fear of what mom was going to do to me for the 55. I didn't consider how much worse it would be for me to try to hide it. I was just kind of hoping I I would be able to fix it all later, right? I just needed a little more time. Well, mom found it immediately. Did she begin the beatdown? No. She wanted to make me squirm a little. And the more I've thought about it, probably was also to give me the opportunity to own it. So she sat me down and told me how proud she was of me. She knew that it, what a tough year it had been with having one te- not one teacher, but seven, and how easy it would have been to not do so well through the year with that situation. Yeah, I probably would have been okay had I just owned it. 
She continued praising me, and then she decided to tell me that tomorrow she was going to take me to school, and she was going to tell them how grateful she was that they had done such a great job. At that point, I owned it, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> told her all the details, no. I woke up the next morning and told her I was sick. <laughs> she wasn't going to be able to take me to school that day. And she had, had, informed, had informed me that overnight she had decided that she was too busy that next day. She wasn't going to take me anyway. And uh, she was going to need to call them now to tell them that I wasn't coming. And she would tell them then that uh, the great job that they had done. Uh, Mom was playing me like a fiddle. I ultimately owned it, and, and Mom did take care of business. The difference this time was Mom told Dad. And he showed me that he could handle a belt as well. <clears throat> But dad did something else that I will always remember. And I would definitely take a belt to the backside over that feeling that I had any day. And I'll finish that story at the end of my message. How many times have you had all the facts and still made the wrong choice? How about if you were given a choice to, that, to make that would determine if you lived or died? If you had all the answers to point you to the right choice and you knew the wrong choice was going to result in your death, do you think there's even a chance that you would choose wrong? We've now been in the Gospels for five weeks learning about the life of Jesus as he taught and spent close time with the apostles. <laughs> the apostles. Prior to the resurrection, a bunch of knuckleheads, right? I mean, come on. They had a chance to spend three and a half years in the very presence of God. They were able to look him in his eyes and hold his hands as he spoke love into their hearts. They were, they were even there to have witnessed the many miracles that Jesus performed. John lists several miracles that, it, that we will talk about today. But then he writes in John 21, 25... And there are so many other things that Jesus did, which every one of them were to be written down. I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. So many things that Christ did while the apostles watched that they are uncountable. John is intentional to speak about some very specific miracles that Jesus performed. And I want to talk about them briefly today, just to make the point that Jesus was continually pointing out that he is the Messiah, and that he had come with the gift of salvation for the world. And the only thing that had to be done was to choose, choose to accept that gift by trusting him. The first sign, turning water into wine, this miracle is from John 2. The first miracle shows he came to take us from the stone cold and empty ways of man's religion into a living and enjoyable relationship with him. 
we look at the symbolism, the six stone jars normally held water used for ceremonial cleansing. An important part of old covenant life. Now they contained wine, which is often associated with the new covenant due to the Lord's Supper. What more, the wine these jars now contained was superior to the wine the wedding guests had been drinking before. A clear sign that the new covenant is superior to the old. This miracle symbolized nothing less than the mission of the Messiah, changing the empty way of man's religion into a living, joyful relationship with the Lord, as demonstrated by the wedding celebration. The second sign or miracle... Healing the official son. This miracle shows we are saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. Here's an act of God's grace, pure and simple. There's no indication of the official's nationality or background, his religious convictions, or his worthiness. Only his faith. He had heard of Jesus and his miraculous power and, and begged him to come and heal his dying son. Jesus didn't go with him, but simply told the man his son would live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed for home the next day. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his son had recovered. From their discussion, he learned that his son had been made well from the very time he had spoken with Jesus because of This, he and his household became believers, saved by grace through faith. The healing at the pool of Bethesda, John 5, 1 through 9. The third sign shows our futile works are insufficient to save ourselves. We need him to save us. Tradition holds that an angel periodically stirred the waters at the pool of Bethesda. The first one into the water when that happened was healed. Many people who were sick or disabled waited there by the pool day after day for a chance to be healed. But a cripple can't get himself to the pool in time. This man had been crippled for 38 years and had repeatedly tried and failed. Then Jesus came along and healed him. I believe this man's predicament demonstrates the The poverty of the law, which was never intended to heal us of our infirmities, physical or spiritual. But to show us our need for a Savior, it demonstrates that we're hopeless and helpless without Him. He was at the very edge of healing, but all of His unsuccessful efforts to get into the pool had only made it obvious that his infirmity was preventing him from being healed. In the same way, the law leaves us at the very edge of salvation. But our unsuccessful efforts to keep it only make it obvious that our sinfulness will prevent us from being saved. Just like the cripple needed someone to heal him, we need someone to save us. The fourth miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, John 6, 1 through 5. Miracle 4 is a demonstration of his supernatural care and provision for those who seek him. Did you hear that? For those who seek him. This may be the best known of all the Lord's miracles and the only one before the resurrection that is recorded in all four Gospels. 
A large crowd had followed Jesus into a remote location, and Jesus could see they would need to be fed. But the men alone numbered 5,000, not to mention the women and children who have, could have more than doubled that number. Andrew found a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, all of that to feed 5,000. And Jesus multiplied it into a satisfying meal for everyone with enough left over to fill how many baskets? Twelve for each of the apostles. This is the particular demonstration of the Lord's promise that if we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all of our other needs, not our wants, all of our other needs will be met as well. But there's more in view here than just our physical needs. We who believe in Jesus will never again feel that emptiness. The emptiness that tells us there's more to life than just having our physical needs met. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Miracle 5, walking on the water, John 6, 16 through 25, shows that because of his miraculous power, we can easily accomplish things through him that would all be all but impossible without him. The fifth miracle is also well known to everyone, familiar with Jesus' ministry. The disciples had labored all night long to row only about halfway across the Sea of Galilee, about three miles When the Lord passed by them walking on the water, when they realized it was Jesus, they let him into the boat and immediately reached their destination. Without him, they were struggling just to make headway. But with him in their midst, that struggle was over. Miracle 6, the healing of the man born blind. John 9, 1 through 41. Miracle 6 reveals that if we allow it, He can cause even the lowliest person born spiritually blind to see and believe. As it concerns your eternity, it doesn't matter what you claim to know about Jesus. What matters is whether you know Jesus. A man had been blind from birth. Jesus made some mud, put it on the man's eyes, and told him to go wash it off. When the man did as Jesus instructed, he could see. While Jesus performed this miracle early in chapter 9, the balance of the narrative clearly shows how much more spiritual discernment this blind beggar had than the officials of the religion who had studied all their lives. In their experience, no one had ever opened the eyes of a man born blind. And they were determined to discredit the lowly beggar, especially since this event took place on the Sabbath. A lengthy interrogation followed where the beggar put the religious experts to shame. And they ended up throwing him out. Afterward, Jesus found him and introduced himself. The man became a believer and worshipped him. Jesus said, he came so that the blind would see. And those who see would become blind. When the Pharisees asked if he thought they were blind, he said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. 
And the seventh miracle is from our reading this week, raising Lazarus from the dead. John 11, 1 through 44. Miracle 7 is the promise that we all need, right? Miracle 7 is the promise that we all need. That all who believe in him will live even though they die. And those who live and believe will never, ever die. The last miracle John recorded before the resurrection shows the fulfillment of our Lord's promise to all who believe in his name. As he called Lazarus out of the grave and restored him from death to life, Scripture shows that even though Jesus knew Lazarus was sick, he actually waited until Lazarus was dead and buried before he responded to the sister's call for help. He did this so he could bring Lazarus back to life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And who, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this promise that the Lord has made to each and every one of us? So what's the point? John selected these seven miracles specifically for their ability to help us believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And that by believing, we might have eternal life. It's, elite, it's easy to allow the world to cloud who Jesus is and to believe that we should be the ones in control of our lives, right? When we think that, when we think that way, man, it's easy to choose wrong. But we were, when we were in his word and surrounding ourselves with people who challenge us, people who lift us up in prayer, people who will hold us accountable, we can, we can withstand the pull of the world and, re- and remain better in his will. Let's bounce back to the disciples. Jesus spent every hour teaching them through word and deed. They shared every meal and every place to lay their heads. They were practically inseparable. These men should have been invincible together. They should have known each other so well that they could finish each other's sentences. They walked so close to Jesus, you would think that he would have been a neon sign. Yet until Holy Spirit's arrival, they still struggled to come to grips with who Jesus truly was or to know each other well enough to know when a major fall was about to happen. And unfortunately for Judas, that fall was fast approaching. The choice that he makes is going to affect him for eternity. People like to think that Judas was pushed into this decision. But I think it was just Judas trying to control his situation. Some think it was greed. But the money he was paid was maybe four months wages. Not enough to set you up for the rest of your life. Judas witnessed everything the others did. And still came to the choice that he wanted to be in control. And although the crucifixion had to happen... I think Jesus gave Judas every opportunity to claim it, to own it, 
and to ask for that forgiveness. That would have saved him right up to the end. See, I think even as Judas left him in the garden that night, had he asked him for forgiveness, he would have forgiven him. I want you to think about this. There were two men that night that are talked about in the garden, that night that Jesus was betrayed. He was betrayed by Judas in the garden, but he was also betrayed by Peter when he denied him three times, right? The difference between the two was Judas wanted the world and Peter wanted Jesus. He had always wanted Jesus. Even when he didn't quite understand who Jesus was, he wanted Jesus. And even with his betrayal, Jesus still wanted him. I believe Jesus still wanted Judas as well. You are never, ever too far gone in your sin that Jesus doesn't want you. If you leave with nothing else today, remember that. You are never, ever too far gone in your sin that Jesus doesn't want you. If you think you are, look at Peter and remember that he was redeemed because he chose Jesus. So many people want to fix themselves up before they come to Christ. Guess what? We can't do it. And he doesn't want us to do it. Remember this. God wants you to come to him broken. He wants you to come broken. But he does not want you to stay there. Let him repair all of those broken places in you. Let me finish my story. Dad sat me down that night, and I saw the hurt and disappointment in his eyes. He told me how hurt and disappointed he was that I had made the choice to do what I had done. That he thought he had raised me to know the difference between right and wrong. I've probably not done a good job of this, but I knew then and there that I hoped never to see that pain in Dad's eyes again. That moment was more painful than any other punishment I could have ever received. And since writing this message, I've compared that feeling with my dad to thought about seeing that hurt in God's eyes. I don't think there's disappointment there. I don't think there's ever disappointment there. If you've taken the step to accept Christ as your Savior, then you are a child of God. And I don't think he's ever disappointed in us at all. But I do think that he hurts for the choices that we make. I think that he hurts for the choices that we make because sometimes, because he knows the pain that we or the ones that are around us are going to have to endure because of those choices. Man, you can come up. As we close today, I'll ask you this question. Which way will you choose? Like Judas who chose the world where death was the consequence? Or like Peter who chose Jesus and that consequence is life. In this week's reading, we read John fourteen six, and it says, Jesus told him, I am the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need only make a choice. If you've already made that choice to accept the gift of Jesus, then I hope this talk maybe encourage you to want to be more intentional about growing closer to him and walk in the command that he left us with to go into the world and preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And maybe just as a side note, to live our life trying to make choices where we would see joy instead of hurt in our Father's eyes. If you haven't made the choice to accept Christ today, we are truly happy that you are here. And we would love to talk to you back at Next Steps. Please don't leave today without knowing that Jesus is your Savior and that dying on that cross paid a price that you could never pay. That the gift that he offers is there for all to accept. We only need to put our trust in him and allow Holy Spirit to guide our steps. Would you please pray with me? Father God, today, we choose you. We choose your son, Jesus. We choose the sacrifice that he made to wash away every sin that we've ever had or that we ever will have. Father, today, we just pray that our worship, that our praise, that everything that we do, every choice that we make will honor and glorify your name. Father, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. It's your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen.